Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. As we begin our time opening God's word this morning, I wanted to light the candles. Last week we reflected on the first candle that we light with the Advent wreath. We light the candle of love. Love. Signifying the boundless love that we receive through Christ. But also the boundless nature of the love we are called to share and show to a world around us that desperately needs it. And out of love, this morning, we're going to spend some time, as you've no doubt already figured out, talking about joy. Reflecting on the nature of the joy we can experience because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And the joy that we can show to a world around us that if we're honest, could probably use a bit of joy right now. Because we're in a series at the moment called Boundless. And it's a play on words in a sense and, and, and trying to capture some imagery of, as you can see on the picture, the boundless nature of the night sky. With all of the galaxies and everything reflected in it is the best we have to grasp the magnitude of God. And then contrast against that is the manger. A tiny baby. God made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The boundless nature of God captured in a boundless gift through his son, Jesus. And that gift offers us more than we could ever want or ever truly realize that we need. As I was reflecting on sharing with you this morning, I thought about a Christmas tradition that many of you might have in your life or may have had previously, particularly for children, but not just children either. And that is wandering around looking at the Christmas lights. Has anyone got Christmas lights in, on the front of their house at the moment? No, only a couple of you. Come on, folks. Although, if you're not meant to be climbing ladders, don't. Just saying. Just saying. No Christmas lighting injuries allowed. It's a wonderful Christmas tradition. If you've, I'm sure you've done this previously, is you've gone up to Lobethal. There's some quite famous Christmas lights up there in Lobethal in the Adelaide Hills. A beautiful time you can sort of crawl along in a car at five kilometers an hour right around the loop and see the wonderful um, Christmas lights as they are displayed in people's homes. 
And this wonderful searching of the streets for Christmas lights, one of the families in our street has this tradition of going searching, just on, on, on foot, one evening, th- uh, close to Christmas, they'll go out and search in the dark streets of Gawler East, up where we live, and try and find Christmas lights. And some of them, it's, it's a little bit hard, because you walk the dark streets, and, and then you see one. And some of them you can probably see from space, just the sheer wattage on that. But some of them are a lot more, less, a lot more subtle. But regardless of the sheer amount of power required to, to light this house, there's something about when you come across it, there's a, a wonder that, that's, that you, captures you when you see all the twinkly lights and, and depending on what tradition, it could be snowman and all sorts of stuff out the front or it could be a nativity, which you're seeing a few more of those in and around the place as well. Reindeer, for whatever, you won't see them around here anytime soon. Um, but there's a wonder about seeing the lights there amid, most of the time, a dark street. You see it. And something about that light captures something wonderful, a beauty, a, a gift that in some small way captures the beauty and reflects the nature of the season of Christmas. And if you're driving down a street and you're not even looking for these Christmas lights, but you, you notice one, what do you do? You look, don't you? You notice. You might even slow down and have a really good look. You might take some photos. In those moments, that light is unmistakable amid the darkness. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning exploring the idea of joy in the darkness. Joy in a world that needs it. Joy is widely considered, and I'm sure that you would probably agree, is one of the central elements of a meaningful life. If we don't have joy in our life, what have we got? I'm sure you might agree we don't have much of a life, do we? It's not much of a life without joy. What's the point? But the problem with joy is, it's one of the most elusive things that we can ever try and pursue in our life. It's elusive, it's hard to find. And when we do find joy... In some place, in some way, most of the time in an unexpected way, it doesn't seem to stick around for very long. Have you ever noticed that? Something will come along that takes that joy away. Something comes along that dampens that joy, robs us of joy. And those things might not necessarily be bad. They could be distractions. They could be life in general. It could just be the job that you're a part of, whatever it is. Joy doesn't seem to stick around very long when we do manage to find it. And in our world, as I was researching this and trying to figure it out, in our world, in most places, the term joy and the term happiness are used interchangeably. Both joy and happiness are used to describe that sense of feeling that we have within us, a sense of elation, a sense of positive Positivity. 
but it's also used to describe not just the emotional things that we experience through happiness, joy, the positivity. It's also used to describe the physiological changes that occur within us. When we experience joy or happiness, there's a bunch of things that happen to us physiologically. Chemicals start to change in your brain. Dopamine and, and serotonin are things that start to flood in. We, our heart rate increases just a little bit. Even though sometimes a real shock of joy feels like a heart stops. We, we might start to, to sweat or we might start to get goosebumps. You've ever felt those things, this experience of joy? I don't know about you, but sometimes in worship, I get that sensation of joy. Something of that, the feeling of a bit of goosebumps, a bit of something. There's something about it. It's just, it's just wonderful. And I do love at Christmas time, hymns, the Christmas carols played on the organ so often sound absolutely magnificent, don't they? They can be a sense of joy. But there's many things in our life that bring us joy and happiness, aren't there? And you might be able to recognize some of these in your recent life. Sometimes joy and happiness is brought about by our work. We just love doing what we do. It could be our family. We love spending time with our family. Sometimes we're reminded this time of year, if we're honest, that some of our members of family bring us less joy than we would hope. And maybe that's why we see them once a year. I don't know. So it's, sometimes it's experiences, going and seeing, seeing and doing things, experiencing the world around us, going on a roller coaster, eating beautiful food. Some of us, it's eating any food. Sometimes it's our possessions, a car or a house that we love or a lawn that's just perfectly mown and cultivated. Anyone appreciate a good lawn? They can, they can, yes, I see you. They can bring joy, can they not? Absolutely. But what I find is significant research and scholarship has gone into this idea of happiness. And a great many people across time have written into this idea of happiness and what it means to find it, to pursue it, to get it. And as it would happen, there is a happiness.com website. Did you know that? If you're wondering about how to get happy, perhaps try visiting happiness.com. You will find a wonderful trove of random articles about happiness, a central resource for the pursuit of happiness and joy in your life. So it proclaims about itself. And as I read and looked at this website, they've got scholarly articles from all sorts of different places. And certainly not just within the Christian tradition, but there are plenty of them in there. Um, and they, I was reading an article that sort of summarizes much of the content on there into, as it writes, the surefire top five components of happiness in your life. Gee, that sounds pretty good. If you talk about clickbait in our life, you'd probably click that one. You'd read that email, wouldn't you? Surefire top five components of happiness. I want to take you through them. This is, in our culture, in our world at this point in time, this is what is determined to be the five things that you need in your life to be happy. See if you can relate to any of these. You need to be in possession of the basics. That is food, shelter, good health, and safety. Have we all got those? don't know. That's most of us, hopefully. We need to get enough sleep. That's number two. 
starting to look a little bit sketchy on a few of your faces. Certainly felt that. Young, young parents, anyone suddenly happiness is starting to look a little bit more evasive. Thirdly, you need relationships that matter to you. We need relationships, people that we know and love, people that we trust, people that trust us. Fourthly, we need to take compassionate care of others and of ourselves in balance. We need to care about the world around us. We need to care about the people around us. And we also somehow need to be able to care about ourselves at the same time. And fifthly, we need to have work or vocation. If you're retired, it could be other things as well. We need to have work or interests that engage us, that we love to do. Anyone got something like that, that they do regularly, that doesn't get pushed out when life gets busy? Can you say that you've got all five of those? Anyone? All five, all the time. I am very impressed if you have. Because I don't know that there is any time, if we're honest, I don't know if there is any time in any of history that, every, that people could say, most people in most places could say that they have all five of those things. The five ingredients of true and meaningful and lasting happiness for any significant length of time beyond a moment. I don't think anyone is really experiencing all of these things all of the time. And I would say that for many of us in our 21st century world, I'd say, if we're honest, very few of us would experience all five of these at any time, ever. And as we read this stuff, our culture, and most of the time, if we're honest, us as well, when we read that list, it's actually all about getting things happening in the right ways for us. All of that whole list is about getting circumstances in the right place and in the right ways, getting everything working for us. And so in a sense, what it's saying and what our culture is trying to tell us in the broader sense is that happiness is ultimately about control. When we are in control, when everything is going the way that we want it to, and when every, all of our ducks are in a row, then we can be happy. We are happy when all of our circumstances are favorable and things are going well. But what about most of the people, most of the time, in most places where they don't have that sort of control, where we don't have that sort of control? I think this last two years of our world has been a case study on lack of control. Even when we feel like we're getting some back, we suddenly seem to lose some, or a promise gets broken, or we're not able to do things, or, or the situation changes, and suddenly we're out of control again. And so that leaves us with a, with a problem. If we're never truly in control, but our happiness is determined by being in control, can we ever really be happy? Can we? Are we just doomed to unhappiness? And the answer is no, we can't. If we've defined happiness as our culture does today, 
And I do so wonder why. We're in a culture that's so anxious, where mental health challenges are higher than they've ever been globally, where suicide is higher, where joblessness and dissatisfaction is at its highest. I wonder if it's that we're looking in all the wrong places. But I've got some good news for you, because after all of that, you're saying, well, thanks, Josh. Thanks for bringing me to church this morning and teaching me about how bad life is right now. Welcome to church. I hope you're encouraged. I've got some good news for you. And it's even, and the good news is this, in your life, if nothing works out the way that you want it to, you can still experience not happiness, but joy. That there is something that is available to you in your life that enables you to experience contentment and a sense of positivity, hope for the future that has got nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with something else. And it is available to us today, tomorrow, and every single day of our life. Whilst happiness might remain elusive, I believe that joy, as Scripture defines it, is available to us no matter what. How is that possible? It's because joy, my friends, is not determined by circumstance, it's not determined by our situation. Joy transcends our situation. And I I do believe that this is a powerful word for our time. Because I don't know about you, but I have struggled. I've shared a bit of this with you as my congregation. I've struggled with finding joy in meaningful places at times because of just how hard things are. And my conversations with you tell me you're struggling with it too. So my prayer is that out of this, we might step into something of the joy that God promises and offers to us. So as we look at joy, I want us to open Scripture today. We're going to be looking at a passage from Philippians. And it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 11. And if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to open it. If you're joining us online, you can open and follow along as well. And to give you some context about this letter, so this book of Philippians is actually a letter, a pastoral letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul to the first century church in Philippi. And this ancient letter could actually be summarized, it's only got a few short chapters, it could be summarized as how to capture joy in the Christian life. That's what the book of Philippians is about. Paul writes to the church with the purposes of helping them capture joy in the Christian life. And it's got four short chapters, but Paul manages to reference joy 19 times in those short chapters. But the thing that makes this so interesting and the thing that's so helpful for us to understand, what I think speaks so powerfully out of this book specifically, is, is Paul's situation as he writes this. Scholars are very clear and certain that Paul wrote this letter from prison. He was in chains. 
And there's a bit of debate exactly where he was in chains, but most scholars would agree that he was in chains in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar to determine his guilt about proclaiming a Lord other than Caesar, which he was, by the way, he proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord, and by doing so would ultimately see him executed. And so Paul is sitting in prison waiting for this trial to happen. And then around 62 AD, and he writes this letter to the church. It begins like this, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, that's where they are, together with the overseers and the deacons, the elders and the leaders of the church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all, I always pray. I always uh, sorry, in my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. But, Paul, how can you pray with joy? You're in prison, aren't you? How is it that you, every time that you pray, and you're saying it's every time, how is it that every time that you're praying for a church that you haven't seen for over 10 years, how is it that you can be praying with joy, awaiting a trial which you know will bring your execution? How is it that you can pray with joy? He continues. He says, I can pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that he is Jesus, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Somehow, Paul is able to proclaim and to be able to pray with joy over a church he hasn't seen in years because of a confidence that he has, a confidence in the work that God has done through Jesus in this church, a work that he saw began when he prayed with them. When he brought people to faith for the first time in Philippi, we read about it in Acts chapter 16, that he, he meets with a group of powerful or influential women. One of those name is Lydia. And he proclaims the gospel to them and he convinces them and ultimately, he ends up in prison. And in prison, he's praying and praising God, and, and the doors get flung open. And the jailer wakes up, and, and he gets so worried, he sees the doors are open, and he's going to kill himself because of the shame. And, he says, and Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And out of that moment... The jailer and his household come to faith. And the, the, the jailer's question to, G, to, to Paul is, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And his response is, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
belief from you and your household. That's the work that was began when Paul was with them in Philippi. Out of a Roman jailer, a church is born. And Paul says that he's confident, he can have confidence in the work that Jesus does in this church in Philippi, a work that ultimately brings joy. And as if we look a little bit closer, we discover Paul's confidence comes from three things that I think are super helpful for us to notice. And I don't often do in my preaching sort of a deep word study like this. But I thought, can, we, can I preach on just one sentence? Can you let me do that today? Can we preach on just one sentence? Because I think in this is something that we really need to understand. Paul's joy comes from confidence in three things. His joy comes from the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work. He who began a good work. You notice it wasn't the church in Philippi that began the good work. Who began the good work? Jesus did. It was Jesus who began the good work. And so the joy that Paul experiences and the joy that we can experience comes not from any work that we can do. Instead, it comes from the gift of salvation found in Jesus. That Jesus, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, sinless in every way, willingly gave up His life in our place to pay a debt of sin upon our lives. Christ's death saved us by grace through faith. It was what, but it's what Jesus did, not what we did. And so that's the first thing. Joy comes from realizing the gift of Jesus, one that we cannot earn. The second thing that we find joy and have, can have confidence in joy is because of Jesus' continuing work of renewal. The, Paul writes, he says, that he who began a good work will carry it on. Will carry it on. And so it's Jesus, the one who started and began the good work, is the one who's carrying it on. Why is that significant? It's significant because it's Jesus who brings renewal in the world. It's that regardless of our efforts, regardless of our good works, regardless of whether we succeed or whether we fail at living up to God's standard, regardless of whether the future is certain or regardless of whether the future is uncertain, if our heart continues to look to Jesus, Jesus continues to do a good work in us. Peter, one of the men who journeyed with Jesus as his disciples, in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 6, writes it like this. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, new life, into a living hope through resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that, and don't miss this, can never perish, can never spoil, 
and can never fade. This inheritance that you have been given is kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time, in the last days. In all this we can, Peter writes, we can greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. What's happening here? When we accept Jesus, our faith is secure. Scripture is so clear, and there's a bit of, you may have heard this one way or the other. When Jesus stays at your center, you can never lose your salvation. Doesn't matter if you feel God, doesn't matter if you walk away from your spiritual disciplines, it doesn't matter whether you come to church or if you don't. If somehow Jesus is still at your center and you still follow him, your salvation is secure, not here, not based on your living in any way. It is secure in heaven, where it can never spoil, it can never perish, it can never fade. And friends, that gospel is different to every other worldview and religion you will ever encounter in this life. Because each, every other attempt that we have as humanity to encounter God and to get right with God is an equation something like this. If you live right, God will love you. If you live right, God will listen to you. If you live right, God will answer your prayers. You will be blessed. You will receive shalom. You will experience nirvana. Whatever the promise of utopia, it is based on your effort to get to God that gets your blessing. But the problem is, with that worldview, is if you believe that the reason God blesses you is because you lived a good life and that you prayed the right prayers at the right time, that means that you will never be certain about your future. You cannot be certain about your future. Because what if you gave up? What if you couldn't speak anymore? What if you couldn't attend church anymore? And friends, there's members in our congregation that that is their experience now. They just can't make it to church anymore. If that's all your salvation is dependent on, what about when you can't? Religion earned by you creates an uncertainty dependent on but in contrast, the gospel declares over us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's absolutely certain. Not sometimes certain, not certain if you feel like it, not certain if you at least get to church 50% of the year, including one service at Christmas and Easter. Certain regardless of certain. Certain regardless of any uncertainty. Certain as certain is that you will share the hope and glory of God. 
we can have joy. Because our faith is given. Our right standing with God is a gift of God. But it's also something that's sustained by Jesus. But thirdly, we can experience joy, as Paul writes it. Because Jesus began the work, because Jesus carries on the work, and because Jesus completes the work. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we, friends, can have joy because Jesus completes the work, not us. Because I don't know if you thought about it lately, but this isn't all there is. If we believe in all of our faith, if we believe in everything Scripture teaches, we believe whether it makes sense or not, we believe that there is more to existence than our time on this earth. Whether it's five years or 105 years, there is more than this. Paul writes it in Romans 8, arguably the greatest ancient piece of writing the world has ever known. Romans 8, 18, he writes this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And we could be honest that creation is really expecting us to start treating it with some respect. That's what Paul's writing about. It continues, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What this is talking about, what Paul is reflecting on, is the way that our creation and all that is will finally one day experience the rule and reign of God in its fullness. Sin will be gone. God's reign will be fully realized. Suffering will come to an end. Brokenness will cease. And there's nothing that you or I can do to achieve it because it's Jesus' work of completion. And Jesus will return and bring it about completion in Jesus' time. But what we do in the midst of that is follow Jesus and honor Him with our life. And Paul continues, so, so we have joy because of the act, final act of completion that's achieved in Jesus. And so Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, finishes this way, this part of it. He says, it's right for me to feel this joy. It is right, it's good, it's reasonable. If all of that is true, if Jesus began a good work in you, that he will continue to the day of completion, it is right for me to feel joy about you. It is right for me to feel this way, to feel joy every time I pray for you because of this good news. So he writes, it is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, 
and defend, or defending and confirming the gospel, which Paul managed to do both at the same time. So whether I'm in aff- afflicted or not, that all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And he finishes his prayer much the way he did that we reflected on last week. He says, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So I don't know where this lands for you, this idea of joy. I don't know how it is that you came to be here today. I don't know your journey and what you're going through at the moment. But I can just about guarantee you that you need some joy in your life. Because without it, life is a pretty significant struggle. And you might be wondering... Where am I going to find it? I'm looking at my job and I can't find it there. I'm looking at my family. Man, I love my kids, but if I'm honest, at 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, there ain't no joy found there either. My house has fallen down, so I don't know how to find joy there. And I'm living in a culture that is anxious all the time, so my joy isn't there either. Where do I find it? Friends, we have a a joy available, a boundless joy. And it's not found in our circumstances. It's not grounded in fleeting happiness or temporary prosperity. Instead, it's a joy that is grounded in the presence of Jesus. A joy that abounds because He who did our good work in you, we'll see it continue through to the day of completion. That he who gave you the greatest gift, when we realize it, when we understand it, it brings about, it can't help but bring about a joy within us that overflows. Because see, joy is in the absence of trouble. That's happiness. Joy is the presence of Jesus. Joy isn't the absence of trouble. Joy is the presence of Jesus. It's a joy that we receive knowing the work of Jesus on our behalf, a free gift of grace through faith that offers hope in this life and the life beyond And that joy, my friends, that joy exists as an unexpected light when everything else seems dark. It's beautiful. It's magnetic. You can't help but slow down and look at it. And when we get this right, 
when we find and realize that we can have joy no matter what. It gives us as followers of Jesus the capacity and the privilege to model a hope that this world cannot possibly provide in any other way. And so boundless joy that surpasses circumstances stands out like Christmas lights on a dark street. You can't help but stop. You can't help but take notice. You can't help but wonder. And so, friends, I wonder if our journey towards Christmas this year, we might be able to live out a boundless joy to those around us. That might help someone that's experiencing a darkness of their own to stop and wonder about how it is that that could possibly be. And I find it interesting, as Eloise shared this morning, that as we journey towards Christmas and as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're reminded of what the angels declared that night in Luke's gospel. They said, do not be afraid. Why? Because we bring you good news of great joy for all and that includes you. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks into our lives. And Lord, if we're honest, we recognize that we are lacking joy at times because we look for it in all the wrong places. You know that. Help us to not look for happiness by what we can achieve, by what we can gain, by what we can do. Because, Lord, we know that happiness is fleeting. And one day, soon it lets us down. Instead, may we look to a joy that surpasses circumstances. A joy that is not found through our our provision, through our prosperity, but instead is found in your presence. Help us to be ambassadors of a boundless joy you have given to us that we might show and shine into the darkness of a world that desperately needs it. In your name we pray. Amen.